Welcome to SageCast, the podcast of Pomona College. I'm Patty Vest. And I'm Mark Wood. This season on SageCast, we'll be talking to current and former Pomona faculty about the personal, professional, and intellectual journeys that have brought them to where they are today. Today, we're absolutely delighted to talk to Monique Segal Escudero, Emerita Professor of Romance Languages and Literature. Monique taught at Pomona for 45 years and was the recipient of the Wig Award for Excellence in Teaching. Welcome, Monique. It's good to have you with us. Well, welcome to, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> um, so, um, we want to talk first about your life story, which um, is an amazing one. Um, you know, can you begin by telling us a little bit about your childhood in France? Ooh, that's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I was born in Paris in a Jewish area because I, I have Jewish grandparents and parents. And, um, and I was born uh, in 1938. I am not ashamed of telling you what my age is. Uh, however, um, and I had a sister who was born a year after me, and she now lives in Washington, D.C., uh, she's had all sorts of medical problems, and for me, I was lucky, but it was more mental, uh, psychological, I should say. Um, so uh, when I was uh, three years old, that was 1942, and um, there was, in France, we had a, a kind of Hitler called Pétain, le Maréchal Pétain, who was the great hero of World War One, and uh, French people just loved him. And when France declared war to Germany, September 3rd, 1939, uh, the, the, the German soldiers entered Paris, and things were not going well at all. So nine months later, Pétain signed the armistice with Hitler, and uh, in September 1940, the Jews had to register as Jews. And in 1942, they, they would have to wear the Jewish star outside of their clothing so they could be seen and arrested. So Pétain became the chief of state. France was no longer a republic. It became a state. And she was the chief, he was the chief of state uh, in July 1940. And uh, since he had um, signed the armistice with, uh, with Hitler, uh, things were not going well at all, not only for the Jews, but also the communists and the gypsies and the Mormons, etc. There was a whole group, but the Jews, of course, were the biggest group. So anyway, when I was three years old, Pétain... Pétain had created an organization called Le Secours National, the, the National Relief. And uh, within, there was a, another, or an annex called the Family of the Prisoner. And the Family of the Prisoner um, uh, was sending children whose father had been a prisoner or had died at war to spend a month vacation with a uh, family uh, host family in southwest France. So my mother uh, tried to enroll me with this group, but she was told that since we were Jewish, we were not accepted. And of course, I must add that the, where the 
um, the train was going because it was the, the, the kids were going in a train, it was going to the occupied zone. So that would have been dangerous for Jewish children. But anyway, so since uh, I was not accepted, the 26th of August, 1942, that was the departure. Uh, my grandmother threw me in the train where these children were, and all these children had the name of the family, a little badge with the name of the family uh, with whom they were supposed to stay for a month. But of course, I, since I was not enrolled, I, I didn't have any name or any badge or nothing. So uh, when I came to destination, when we arrived to destination, there was no one to pick me up since I was not enrolled. But there was a young woman, Jacqueline Balleste, who was almost 21 years old, and she had come with her father, who had been wounded in the First World War, and he had he had received many awards for his courage and. And they had asked for a four-year-old little boy, but this four-year-old little boy didn't show up. So they decided, so she, it was her idea, she, she talked to the person in charge who was the mayor of that town. The town was Dax. And um, he, she, she said, well, our, since our little, what about this little girl over there, this little girl who is crying? And she actually came to me and said, because she's a very Catholic lady, she said, an angel sent me to you. And so he said that, uh, she said, well, could we take this little girl since the little boy did not, that whom we asked didn't come. So she, so that he said, the man in charge, Milies Lacroix, uh, he said, well, yeah, you know, why don't you take her and we'll let you know what, uh, who she is, and so they did find out, etc. So then, um, I was supposed to go back to Paris uh, in September 26, September 26, 1942. But it turned out that it was the raid of the Romanian Jews, and my grandmother, who was our babysitter, uh, was taken. So. So that, but I forgot to say that when, what happened September 24th, 1942, it was the raid of the Romanian Jews. So the French police went to her apartment to pick her up. And of course she had, uh, since Jews had to register as Jews, she had done her job. And, but when the uh, po French police arrived to her apartment, she wasn't there. But her concierge was too happy to let the French police know where she was, because if you denounced Jews, you were rewarded. So the French police went to my mother's apartment, where my grandmother was babysitting my sister. <laughs> and uh, my grandmother was also there with her son, uh, Daniel, who was 18. And when you were 18, between 18 and 50, you were sent to Germany to work for German industry. So when the French police knocked at the door, my grandmother told her son to go hide in the back bedroom. And my uncle repeated to me uh, that he heard the French police say, you could take a suitcase with a few things, you won't be gone for long. And my grandmother answered, to go where I'm going, I don't need anything. And my uncle um, 
my uncle was supposed to be 96 years old Christmas Day, this 2018, and he died a few months ago. So it was an accident in his apartment. But anyway, so uh, he has given me a lot of information that I know now and uh, that I put in my book. And of course, the lady who saved me when I was three years old is now 98 years old, and she has a memory which is better than mine. And she has given me a lot of information also. So uh, I ended up staying with this family, Les Balestes. There was her father, her mother, her grandfather, her grandmother, and across the street was her cousin, who was the same age, and her aunt, and her paternal grandmother. And um, the thing, uh, this was the occupied zone, and every family had to give a bedroom to two German soldiers. So the family I was with had two German soldiers. And um, I... I, when, when my grandmother was taken, then my uncle left the apartment and con contacted my mother, told her what happened, and my mother sent a telegram to the Ballest family asking them if they could keep me a while longer and find a place for my sister. So I ended up staying with his family for eight years, but Jacqueline Ballest, that was the name of the young woman, she, she said, um, we, should, uh, we need to baptize the girls. Because my sister, nobody was able to tell me who took my sister to the family she stayed with because it was not the same village where I was. We were separated for, for eight years with my sister. So, um, um, so this is... Uh, um, I, I, we were baptized when my sister got to be sent to another family in another town. Uh, she came over, she was brought to where I was, a small village of 500 inhabitants. And we were both baptized. And I was raised Catholic. And I did my communion, my confirmation. I lived eight years with that family. And in 1995, we had a president in France, Jacques Chirac, who, who asked forgiveness for the people, the victims who had been killed because of Pétain and because of Hitler. And um, uh, at that time, I honored that family. I decided to honor the Ballest family. Uh, it was done in Paris, but it was the... I, in, I say Yad Vashem, but it, the, the Jewish memorial, but it was in Paris, it, it was not in Israel. And uh, the uh, Israeli ambassador gave my godmother a, a diploma to thank her and her family for what, for what they had done during the war. And then, uh, in 2007, she received the Legion of Honor. Mm. And um, she, she did a small, she said a few things. And um, her last sentence was, the, uh, I forget exactly the words, but the, 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 we, we are never wrong when we choose the road of love. It, it was that. Mm -hmm. So this, this woman, as I told you, she's now 98 years old. And I've, I see her every year. Mm -hmm. And we speak every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Because in France, if you have 
TV, internet, and phone, she can call me free here. Yeah. So we talk for an hour. So how much of all of that did you know as a child? I knew nothing. As far as you were concerned, you were a ballast, or were you? No, no, I knew I had parents because yeah. I slept in the bedroom with the grandparents. And on the chimney, there was the picture of my father and my mother. Mm -hmm. And I was told these were my parents. Mm -hmm. And uh, at one point, I, I guess I was still, it was still during the war, my mother uh, came to visit me with my uncle, with her brother. And it, it, uh, my, then my uncle left, and my mother was outside on a bicycle, and there was a German soldier who was dating a woman from the village. And when he saw my mother on the bicycle, he said to the woman, you see that woman, she's Jewish. And um, so, that e so that evening, she came to tell our neighbors, and the neighbors came to tell us, and so they hid my mother in the attic. Mm. And that evening, a German soldier came with a dog, and uh, he was not a Nazi. Wow. That other guy was not a Nazi either because mm -hmm. he would have taken care of my mother a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the soldier, the German soldier who would come in the evening, she, he was not a Nazi either because he didn't ask to come in the house. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. my mother was able to, um, to leave during the night. But my mother never told me anything about what happened during the war, about sh what she did, about... Uh, my father or her grandparents, she said she repressed everything. And also, the one interesting thing for me is that um, my mother had said that her marriage to my father was an arranged marriage, but I found out that it wasn't true because when my mother died in 2007, my aunt gave me a box full of letters mm -hmm. that my father wrote to her every day. He went to a dance. And my mother was a great dancer. She was even a ballet dancer, but she was a great regular dancer. And she danced in all sorts of erotic, sexy ways. <laughs> and so he wanted, he danced with her, but he said, oh, I'm not going to marry this woman because she's just a nothing. She has no brain and she will not be faithful. She won't be able to cook or take care of me. And so... When she left the dance, he didn't even know her name was Rachel. But I suppose it was a, a, a Jewish dance because somebody knew her address and gave her address to my father, who was interested in seeing her again. But this was 19, you know, that was not uh, 2020, you know, where people do different things when they first meet. Anyway, so um, he, he, was a, he wrote a letter to my mother and um, asked her, he came to her, to her apartment, uh, you know, and my mother at the time lived with her mother, et cetera, et cetera. That was 1937. So in 1938, I was born, and um, then um, she, uh, he died in a trench as a, as a soldier in 15th of June, 1940. Oh. Mm -hmm. So that is why I should have been able to, to enroll with these students, with these children, because my father was killed at war. Mm -hmm. But that didn't work. Yeah. Good. Uh, now, you, you also didn't know you were, you were Jewish. 
right? Well, that- you know, I never thought of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I never, I certainly, what happened is when I, when, I, when I was 12 years old, so I'd been eight years with my family, my mother met an American uh, who was at, in the war, you know, as an American and spoke French very well. And he was looking for a room to rent, and she said, "Well, you could. Uh, you, I have a room to rent if you want." So then they got together and they got married, and um, so they decided. Um, and um, I guess his mother, his name was Jean Abrams. So then his mother and his sister had come to Paris because of their wedding, and so they decided to come and pick me up. And um, me, my way of resisting was that I had the mumps. And uh, everybody was crying, and I was crying, and, and, you know, it was just a terrible time. And, and for some reason, um, I, I couldn't stand the mother of my stepfather. But she didn't speak French, and I didn't speak English. <laughs> and then the sister spoke some French. But because I had the mumps, that family had put big cottons on my ears. And so the sister of my stepfather, she, oh, what is those brown? Oh, she took him out. And it was a totally different types of life. For, for eight <laughs> years, I lived in the village of eight, uh, 500 inhabitants, no toilets, no refrigerator, you know, a simple life. And then I get to, to live with my mother and her, and her husband and my sister, whom I barely knew. I mean, I didn't really mm-hmm. know her. The, the American way, we have to eat ketchup. <laughs> now, we have to drink milk when you eat. Me, I was used to drinking water and wine. Right. Of because course. these people, they made their own wine. So mm-hmm. give me water and wine in it. No. Mm-hmm. Milk. <laughs> and milk after the dinner, after the meal, mm-hmm. not wine. <sighs> it was horrible. So then in 1953, we came to the United States because he worked for the American government, so he had to come here every three years. And so in 1953, well, we stayed with his family in Los Angeles, and we, my sister and I became American citizens just by saying, I do. That was it. <laughs> and then back to Paris, I went to high school there, au lycée, Mm-hmm. And then that's when I learned English and Spanish, but I wouldn't say that I was fluent. And then in 1956, we came back to Los Angeles, and this is when I decided to stay here because I wasn't happy at home. You know, my mother, she was a newlywed. You have a newlywed with two children. One is 12, one the other one is 11. She has no idea how to raise children, you know. she. So anyway... So then uh, I came here and I went to LA City College. Oh, I became a nanny. I lived with his, with my stepfather's oldest sister who just adopted a baby. Mm-hmm. So I, they said I could live with them and my, my mother gave some money. I don't know how much, but anyway, the point is that I lived in the room with a baby took care of the baby. That was the summer, but then in September, October, I forget when school started, I went to L.A. City College to learn English, and then I went to UCLA, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that. Monique, can you tell us about, you said you you, you were separated from your sister when yeah. you were so young. When yeah. do you reunite, and how, how? tell us about that relationship. How did that evolve? Well, um, I remember that she lived she lived in a in a small town 
And I remember I had gone there to, I forget what exam it was, but it was for the Catholic thing. It was some kind of exam that I had to take. And she, I had to take this exam where, where she lived. Okay. So that's when I spent some time with her that day because it was only six kilometers from where I lived, but nobody, had a, nobody could take me there, you know, so I didn't see her. And she told me once that I had given her chewing gum <laughs> when I went that day. <laughs> and, uh, but we, we had, we were not, we didn't become close. But then later, she married an idiot well, he was too young. He was 19. You can't get married when you're 19. Yeah. And she was 21, I think. And then he took up with her best friend. And he was an idiot. So, so, she, so then she got divorced, but she was so close to my stepfather that she took his name. Really? So her name mm-hmm. is Abrams, my, my stepfather's name. Um, so we weren't very close, but... But when I got to be in my 40s, 42, 43, I had some personal problems. And so she came to California, and that's when we reunited and we became close and we talked to each other every day. How did you begin to piece together the pieces of this story? Um, You didn't know it as a child. When did you begin to realize realize that there was a story there that you needed to know, and how did you pull it together? Well, there was one thing before, like about in 1995, as a matter of fact, when, when, uh, when I honored this family, what, what helped me, what gave me an idea to honor this family is there was a woman who lived in, in Claremont, Odette Myers, and her husband was a poet, and he taught at Pitzer, and they were Jewish. And she had honored her concierge, who had saved her, but she hadn't stayed with her. She was with her parents. It was a different story. Mm-hmm. So when she said she was going to honor her concierge, I decided to honor um, the family who had saved me. Um, but what happened is that in 2001, there was a professor of history at Cal State Los Angeles who wanted to bring a group of people to visit the, uh, the former internment camps in France. And I never, I had never heard of that. I know there had been internment camps in France, because in French, nobody taught you about World <laughs> War II, not even World War I when I was there. Yeah. So I said, oh, well, maybe that's my chance now, because by then, you know, I was married. I, married, uh, I got married in 1972 to a Catholic man, from Bolivia, as a matter of fact, I was more Catholic than he was. <laughs> he didn't know very much. I, mean, you know, I could tell you, but that's not the moment to tell you about why he wasn't Catholic. <laughs> but the point is that um, he only, I took, you know, I, my children were baptized. I took him to church, there the communion. And when uh, he only came to church on, for Easter and Christmas, you know, it was. But his family was extremely Catholic, of course. So... Anyway, uh, I, I, I wrote to that professor and I said, yes, I would like to, to, go, to join this group. 
And I asked Pomona College if they would help me, and they said they would help me, so that was nice. However, the trip, the thing didn't come out. I mean, it, it did not work out. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, maybe because he didn't have enough people. So I asked him to send me the information, and I told my Catholic husband, why don't you and I, why don't we go and we do it on our own? So he was all for it. So we went in 2002. We went to visit. We didn't visit all of them, but, you know, there wasn't very much to see. There was only one that had thing. It was Drancy. Drancy was actually an internment camp um, that has that has a little museum, but you could only visit it between 2 and 4 on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and I, since I was there on Saturday, I was able to visit, but it was just a bunch of photos, nothing big. And um, a, a cart, um, a wagon, what do you call them this? The, where they, they, they threw the people in this train. Mm -hmm. And I can't um, think of the word now. A wagon. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. a, uh, a, tr a train car. A uh, it was, it, it, was a, it, the, it was like for animals, you know, something yeah. where you put animals in there. I can't mm -hmm. think of the cattle car. That's cattle it. Car. It was a yeah. cattle car. So there's one as as a model, you know, mm -hmm. not the mm -hmm. real thing. Because mm -hmm. I did find the real thing in Poland and I mean in uh, in the Strutov and uh, no in Poland in Auschwitz, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. took the picture. So um, so then uh, uh, we went and uh, the, the interesting thing, another thing that was in this uh, Drancy, beside the the museum and um, the cattle car was a tunnel because before 1943 it was a little bit easier in France because uh, Drancy was taken care of by French people not Germans but after 1943 it's a Germans it's much stricter mm -hmm. and before 1943 you could send packages you could you know mm -hmm. you could send your laundry out and I interviewed one woman who who sent her laundry out and her sister had hidden a, a message in her pink brassiere with pink thread. Anyway, it was interesting. <laughs> so anyway, so we uh, we went there. The interesting thing about that trip, beside the internment camps that didn't have much of anything, was uh, the the Protestant enclave. I have a lot of respect for Christian people. I'm not talking about the Catholic. I'm talking about the Protestant. Mm -hmm. It was called. Um, it was uh, near the Alps. Le Chambon sur Lignon. And the pastor of this uh, town, although it was all the surroundings also that, uh, that protected Jews, and it said that uh, the, it was uh, 5,000 5, people who were saved by those Christians, but 3,500 Jews. And when I went there, I went there with my husband, and I interviewed people there, but I didn't put them in my book because they're men, and I have women in there. Mm -hmm. So um, the funny thing is about several years ago when I was teaching at Pomona College, when I was teaching literary analysis, I told my students about my book that I was doing, and I told them about Le Chambon sur Lignon, and this one student raised her hand and said, my grandmother lives in uh, Minnesota, and uh, she is the daughter of that pastor that you told us Whoa. about. So I was wow. so excited. 
So she gave me the grandmother's, uh, the grandmother's email, so we started connecting through email. And then one day the woman said to me, her name was Nancy Trockme Hewitt. And she said to me, I am, I, I'm, I'm coming to that area. Uh, she was giving a talk somewhere. And she said, could I stay with you? You know, she thought it was that Los Angeles was right near. I mean, it is close to Claremont, but still. Um, so she said, could I stay three days and three nights with you? And I said, of course. And she wanted to visit the area, and I was so nervous. I was always getting off at the wrong exit. <laughs> and when I took her to the, she had arrived in Ontario. Mm. And uh, when I when I took her to the, to the uh, when she was leaving, when I took her to the airport, I thought I was on uh, I, on the freeway 10, but I was on the freeway 210. And uh -huh. I, and, and, oh, my God. <laughs> but she had wanted to leave so early that it saved me, you know. Yeah. Because I, you know. <laughs> so anyway, that was the interesting <laughs> part. So, um, for instance, your, your grandmother, you said that your grandmother uh, was deported to Auschwitz. Yes. Um, when did you learn that? How did you learn that? Well, I don't know how I learned it, but in 1949, in 1949, and my mother didn't tell me that in 1949, yeah. but in the papers that I found, ah. in, uh, I found out that in 1949 she had received a paper, uh, I think it was from the police, saying that it has all the information about my grandmother, that, uh, and it's written... It was not written with letters. But it was written. It was written with letters, not, uh, f not, uh, not figures. Like the 30th of September, 1942, uh, with mm -hmm. letters. Yeah, spelled out. And her name, and when she was born, and how she was gassed at Auschwitz, uh -huh. the uh, the 30th of September, 1942. And my oldest daughter said to me, "Mom, since your grandmother was gassed at Auschwitz, the 30th of September, we need to go." 30th of September. So we went mm -hmm. in 2015, and it was a horrible experience for me. Mm. Yeah. You know, when you see it on TV or in a film, it has nothing to do that when you are there in person, mm -hmm. and you know your grandmother has mm. gone through all that. You know what they did? Yeah. They, they selected people, you know that, but they shaved them. Mm -hmm. They put them naked, and you know, in those days, I remember myself, I never saw a woman naked the whole time I lived with my godmother. Women did not undress even in front of women. Mm -hmm. So they undressed the women, they shaved them from top to bottom. And in, at Auschwitz, there's a machine that shows you that they were making, like for instance, socks for Marines with hair. They were making, do, doing textile things. Oh. So uh, it is... Um, it, it was, I mean, I'm glad I went. I would have never gone otherwise. I was too scared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you, you were born Jewish. You grew up Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, how have those two religious um, sort of poles of your life affected you through the years? How, um, where are you now? And, well, you know, your... I'm going to tell you, I'm proud that I'm Jewish, but I'm not religiously Jewish. I'm culturally, emotionally, 
And now I go to an Episcopalian church in Ontario. <laughs> I discovered it because my neighbor, I don't know if you've heard Morseburger, his name was Morseburger. He used to go there and he died and there was a memorial there. So I went there. I, I never knew what church he went to. And I really like the atmosphere because they're very liberal. They, they're, I, I go every Sunday morning. There are two women in front of me who are gay, and they, they say it. They, they hug themselves. I like that. I, I just like the fact that it's liberal. They accept mm -hmm. everybody. I know mm -hmm. some Jewish people, and they don't say anything bad against the Jews. So. <laughs> Um, and and yeah. you know what? They have women who serve the pastor, and mm -hmm. it, it's you know ah, it's free. I like it. So, but uh, I I also was discovered. I mean, I don't know because I gave those PowerPoint presentation. Uh, some rabbis have I don't know how we found out, but some rabbi at Riverside invited me because he had been told. Oh, there was another rabbi at Huntington Beach or something. Anyway, mm -hmm. so I've gone to different groups, Jewish groups, and this rabbi from Riverside uh, lives in Claremont, and he is, a, a, I think, an Orthodox rabbi. I have never gone to, to a, a religious mm -hmm. thing, but he invites me for Shabbat, mm -hmm. and he invites students, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I go there. I even give money to help him out, but I don't want... I said, you know, uh, an Orthodox rabbi, you can't even hug him. You can't even right. touch him. And right. mm -hmm. you're supposed to be dressed a certain way. Me, I go in shorts. I go whatever, you know. <laughs> and he accepts anybody because I, mm -hmm. I've been to Shabbats with my husband. And it's okay. You know, he's very mm -hmm. free that way. Mm -hmm. But uh, no... Not religious, but if I had to choose between Jewish and and Catholic, um, well, I don't want to say. I, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but your identity is is uh, is somewhere is basically independent of those things now. Yes, it, it's independent. But when I hear about, you know, uh, I, if, if I see a paper about Auschwitz or about the Jews, I will read it in the paper. I will not necessarily read about the Catholic people, you know, but mm -hmm. I will read because now that I've become so knowledgeable about what happened to my grandmother, uh, I, I'm sorry I missed all these years. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I, when I started this book, because uh, I started uh, interviewing women in the French resistance, because I didn't know what to do with all my information. Mm -hmm. There's so much information. And there were not that many about women in the resistance. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started that. And uh, so my, uh, my mother knew I was doing that, and she was very pleased that I was, you know, becoming interested in my Jewish origins. Mm -hmm. uh, but I now that I've done all these research and I've written this book, I am sorry that I didn't know then what I know now because I would have been closer to my mother. I would have understood her better, and, and now it's too late. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was living in Claremont, and she was living in Geneva, so I wasn't seeing her very often, mm -hmm. especially after her husband's parents died. So this is something that makes me feel sorry because mm -hmm. I had no idea about what happened. And I'm yeah. sure it must have been difficult for her when she, she was told that her mother had been taken, sent to Auschwitz. Yeah. And, 
Mm-hmm. And she didn't know. My father died in 1940, but she only found out in 1942. Mm-hmm. That's why I should have been able to go with that group of children. I should yeah. have been able yeah. to be accepted. So now... All I do is to give PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> I think I must have given about 300 by now. Mm-hmm. I was at the Holocaust Museum last Saturday in February. I forget what date. I'm also going back there to speak to Mexican students mm-hmm. who are coming there. So is it about your book or is it about your life experience? Well, it's it, you, what interests people is my story, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and like when I was at the Holocaust Museum last Saturday, that's about the third time or the fourth time that I go there. I've been there before. It's the real museum. It's not the Museum of Tolerance. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a Holocaust yeah. museum. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, with, with this, this time, there was an 11-year-old girl who is fascinated who said, I want you to come to my school. I want to buy your book. And 11, 11. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Um, so I, I just love to do it because a lot of people don't know who, who Pétain was, Le Maréchal Pétain. Don't, people don't know that we had a Hitler in France, and they think it was just in Germany. And actually, in Germany now, they're nicer. <laughs> you know, they're not the same. You know, the young German people, they feel bad about what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not... They talk about it. They, yeah. they acknowledge yes. it. Yeah. And when we mm-hmm. went to visit that um, Le Strutoff, in France, there was one concentration. There were internment camps, mm-hmm. but there was only... There were internment camps in southern France that, that were used for the Spanish refugees in the time of... Uh, of um, what's this guy's name? 1936. Franco. In the time oh, of Franco. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and then they were used for, for the people, you know, that they wanted to get rid of. But there's a, uh, only one concentration camp in France, and it's in Alsace. Mm. You, in Alsace. Your wife must know about this. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's called Le Strutoff. And in Germany, there is one called Le Strutoff. But there's no R in Germany. But in France, Le Strutoff, S-T-R-U. T-H-O-F. And Le Strutoff, that's where they had, they were gassing people. They were, they had a, um, that's the one I show in my PowerPoint because I took a picture of that mm-hmm. gas chamber, you know, that, um, not the gas chamber, where they, they uh, the crematorium. Mm-hmm. I took, they, that's the only place that had, that I know of in France that had uh, a crematorium. And we yeah. visited it with my husband and he, he actually took pictures there. But afterwards, every other summer, I would go on my own to interview women and to take more pictures of, um, of different things. So a lot of the women whom I interview now have died, and I'm glad I was able to interview them. So mm-hmm. to tell you, the, to go back to your question, when I was at the, at the uh, Holocaust Museum, they wanted to know more about the women whom I interviewed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but sometimes they had enough, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, depends who I talk to. If I talk to older people, you know, like I'm young, right? <laughs> uh, no, but, you know, like San, Bruno, San, uh, San Antonio Gardens or people like that, mm-hmm. you know, people sort of fall asleep, depending <laughs> on the time. <laughs> Monique, storytelling is such a big part of your life. Your, your story, your 
personal story is so, so amazing. How did you decide to go into academia and into what what interested you in French literature? Like, how did you make that, you know, reconciling all your personal story and from so young? And how did you decide to go into teaching? Well, uh, I told you when I went to UCLA, mm -hmm. um, and so I got my BA, and then um, I needed money. So they told me that I could be a, 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 a teaching assistant in French, mm -hmm. but I would have to take graduate classes in, in literature, upper division. And when I was in France, there were two things I disliked. I don't think I ever really had literature in Fr I don't remember, but I wasn't interested in French literature, mm -hmm. and, I, and I hated history. So here you have it. <laughs> so then they told me if I became... Uh, so then I, decided I was a, a teaching assistant for three years, so I had to take literature classes. In, and I liked it. I loved it. Okay. So, and especially poetry. And then I wrote my thesis on, on Victor Hugo, but one poem, I don't know how I did that, I don't understand. <laughs> the, it's called La Légende des Siècles, and um, I, I wrote 400 pages. I don't even know where my thesis is. I don't know what I did with it. But anyway, so I did that, and actually my, the professor who was my, my uh, thesis director, he was anti-Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> he was Egyptian, oh. and he had this long, I remember once, he had a long disc, uh, dis, discussion or discourse, no, a speech, with Pucciani. Pucciani was just the opposite. Pucciani was a gay man of Italian origin who was, you know, taught literature, m contemporary, modern literature, French literature, and he was pro-Jews, and the other one was anti, and they had this... Um, this uh, speech, I mean, you know, this presentation. So I, I don't think I went to it. I don't remember, but I know they did that. So, so then I got, when I got my PhD, um, Pomona College was looking for, I uh, know I didn't have the PhD yet. I had taken the exam, but I had not written my thesis yet. I had started, mm -hmm. but I wasn't finished. Mm -hmm. the Pomona College was looking for a professor of Spanish, and French. Mm -hmm. Well, I think at first it was to replace Howard Young, who was a Spanish teacher. And when they saw that, well, I could teach French, they hired me for doing both. It was supposed to be for a year. I was supposed to replace Howard Young. But then, luckily, they kept me. 44 so years later. Today. <laughs> That's how it happened. So I didn't really choose. I just fell in it. <laughs> yeah. Now, you tell us a little bit about your second book. The um, uh, can you tell the, us a another book? It was before. Oh, was in that two thousand? I mean, this right. is the second book. Right. Can the, you tell us about your first book? The, the first book I tried to. It, it, it was about. Uh, it was called Writing, l'écriture lien entre la mère, uh, writing link between mother and daughter during mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the books of three contemporary French women um, who had a problem with their mother. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote this book in French, but it's more for people who are interested in 
It's not like this one. This one anybody can read because mm -hmm. these are interviews. It's easy to read. The other one, it was more, I wouldn't say intellectual, but it was based on their books. So it's literary analysis. Yeah, so. it was literary analysis. Exactly. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It was that. So, and I, these three women whom I interviewed are still alive. And uh, Annie Ernaud, um, Annie Arnaud is pretty famous. She actually just wrote another book. Mm -hmm. I saw her on TV5 Monde. Yeah. Um, and then Jeanne Ivrard. And um, Jeanne Ivrard, I, I, uh, uh, I still see her when I go to France every year. Mm -hmm. um, so Jeanne Ivrard, uh, Annie Arnaud, and who's the other one? I can't think what the other one is right now. Well, anyway, this was published also in France. Mm -hmm. So, but I haven't translated. I haven't asked anybody to translate. I don't know if anybody would be interested. And I don't even remember what I said, but I know the three of them had a problem with their mother. <laughs> Why did you decide to write that book? What, what, what drew you to that subject? Yeah, mm -hmm. Because I had a problem with my mother. <laughs> 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 yeah, I had a problem with my mother. I had some hostility. I remember she would say, for instance, oh, when you were four years old or when you were five, you did. I said, you don't know what I did when I was four years old. Because, you know, she could have picked me up in 1945. Mm -hmm. She picked me up in 1950. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see. So sometimes I, I had hostility. Mm -hmm. But I'm really sorry I didn't know what she had gone through, you know. And yeah. It's just, c'est ma faute, c'est ma faute. <laughs> so... Um, How did you know she could have picked you up in '45? When... Well, because that's when the war was mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. And she actually in Paris it was 1944, but mm -hmm. I mean total mm -hmm. it was 1944 mm -hmm. and 1945. But I don't know what she, she. I think she got she married somebody else first. Yes, she she had my father, and then for a very short time I think she was married to a Frenchman mm -hmm. who was. In the resistance, I I don't know much about it, but then she married her American husband uh, in 1950. That I know, so that was for her the one the husband who counts. But for some reason, they were not able to have babies, to have children. So, and he loved children. That's how it goes. How different was your life once the war ended? When the war ended? When the war, when, so in 45. Well, it was, it was different because I no longer lived with the same family mm -hmm. in the same place. Mm -hmm. um, I was the youngest at school there in that village. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a small village, so it was divided in, in rows, you know. One row, we had six students, and the other row, you know, we were a different age. Right. I even on my PowerPoint, I even show a picture of the class, that of the of children when I was uh, seven. Wow. So I was still there. So I show that picture. Are you still close to your godmother? Oh yeah, we talk every Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we speak every Sunday. The thing that happened is that 1950, then I went back to France. And I went back to visit them the following year. And her mother, uh, I don't forget if she had cancer or what, but her mother died. And, mm -hmm. But I don't think it was the following year. I don't know if it was the following year. But 
either, oh yeah, 1952, that's it. 1951, yes, I went back because 1952, she got married. Mm. And when I was still living with them in 1949, a young man with lots of diplomas came to start a model farm with special machine to for the for the cows you know to draw the milk and um every sunday we used to go to church in the morning and in the afternoon and then all the young people of the village would get together and we would play we would look for for things that were hidden you know that kind of games and so when this young man came his name was Lionel de Saint-Quentin uh, when he came, then he joined the group. And so then at that time, he started taking care of the men, the boys, and my godmother of the girls, the women. And my godmother, um, she put on, they put on plays. Mm. She just loved theater. Mm -hmm. So then he started becoming interested in my godmother. And my godmother is <laughs> very formal. And I remember when this one time that they went to a, a little town little we must have driven there and we were sitting in a park the three of us because I was the chaperone <laughs> and here I was 11 then I guess it was before I left I must have been 11 and I was sitting on the bench with them and I was so jealous because he was putting his arm around her you know and uh and then at one point she asked me you know he asked me to marry him what do you think <laughs> <laughs> what so, did you say? So, oh, yeah, sure. I don't know what I said, but they got married. And it, they got married the following year. They got married in 1952. So, of course, I was part of the wedding. Mm. And my sister also, we were both part of the wedding. And um, and then uh, then they moved somewhere else to, to uh, not Alsace, but to the Champagne place down so I'm Bourgogne, and then I think maybe for one year I might have not have seen her or two. And then she had three children. And then in 1976, I had my first child was born in 1973, and my second in 1975. 1976, her middle boy, she had three boys, was coming to visit us, and mm -hmm. he was gonna he was going to uh, fly him to New York and take a greyhound and come to California, and he was going to stay with us. But something happened. I got, I got a, a telegram saying he was arriving, and then three days later, I get a telegram saying he had died. So it was terrible. He, he, he died in that village. He was driving. He was with a friend. The friend was lying down. He went through the, through the, the front window, Mm -hmm. And of course, no belts at the mm -hmm. time. And he hit his head against a, um, a thing that holds that holds that says how many miles, mm -hmm. kilometers. Mm -hmm. They're 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 thick, you know. Yeah. They're bricks. So so get, then I had the, I got this telegram saying that this I could not believe it. So I said, well, I have to go to Paris. So I left with my youngest child, who was I think it was. Uh, um, she was what eight eight year eight, eight months eight or nine months. She was wonderful here over there. She was a problem, a big stuff. <laughs> she wouldn't eat. She wouldn't sleep, and it was an apartment. And I said, oh, no, don't cry. This is an apartment. And, you know. 
So, and then people would come and visit her and, you know, and she was crying. It was a very tough time, but in a way, I'm glad I went. I think it was good for her that mm -hmm. I was there because I had that small child who yeah. was not always crying, but still, you know. Yeah. So then that was the beginning, you know, when I started to go there pretty often. As a matter of fact, we bought an apartment in 1989 next to her, oh, like wow. that, here, here. And there's a balcony. And we used to, we could go out on the balcony and go right to her living room. Wow. Mm -hmm. But then her husband died in 2009, so then she sold the apartment, and now she lives in Po. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I go every year. As a matter of fact, I'm going in at the end of March. Nice. Very nice. Good? Yeah. So... <laughs> On that note, we're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, our <laughs> thanks to Monique much. Sagal. Um, uh, yeah. Monique, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, we really appreciate Okay, well, yeah. thank you. Thank how, you. How many? How much? <laughs> no, that's great. And to all who've stuck with us this far, thanks for listening to SageCast, the podcast of the Wana College. Until next time.